Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, it looks like we might be able to get your haircut before Canada Day. Government announcing today that Ontario will enter the next stage of its reopening plan. What does it mean? Well, we'll discuss that. We'll also get an update from London's Chief Medical Officer of Health to find out about vaccine eligibility expanding in their region to help combat COVID-19 and that Delta variant. And we'll talk with Shirley Williams, a survivor of a local residential school. We'll get her reaction to the latest update about the unmarked graves found in Saskatchewan. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A lot of us are asking these days just what's going to be happening with our reopening program. I mean, we're looking at other jurisdictions, uh, not just in the States, uh, but even here in Canada. And, and they seem to be way ahead of us when it comes to the reopening. Saskatchewan seems to be much more progressive, although their vaccination rate's not as good as, as Ontario's is these days. Alberta announced uh, that as of next week, they're going to be COVID-free. Uh, not the virus, it's still going to be around, but no more COVID restrictions, which is rather... Uh, uh, bold move, I guess, by Premier Kenny. So what is happening in Ontario? Well, yesterday at a media conference, uh, Premier Doug Ford revealed that discussions were taking place about maybe moving to the next stage a little early. Uh, Sabrina Nanji, reporter with uh, Queen's Park Today, joins us to talk about this. Uh, Sabrina, great to have you back. I hope you're doing well these days. Thanks, Bill. I'm actually at Queen's Park Observer now. I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of us around there, but uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure. Okay, excellent. What have you heard? So actually, news is just breaking now. It's it's hot off the presses. Uh, after cabinet met yesterday, they signed off on entering step two of the reopening a little earlier than planned. So that's going to happen next Wednesday on June 30th. Initially, we all thought that would be happening on July 2nd. So effectively, this means uh, we can get our nails done. We can go get a haircut. Um, as long as you know you're wearing a mask and you're following distancing rules, uh, you can go to an amusement park, uh, a water park, you know, which is great in time for summer, uh, shopping at non-essential retail at 25%, some small indoor gatherings, that type of thing. Um, and I think what we, what, what we're wondering about now is uh, what happens next. Like you mentioned, Ontario's doing uh, very well with vaccinations, and now we've already surpassed the thresholds required for step three, which would be an even bigger reopening. But at this point, we're going to be staying in this step two phase for 21 days, which means, uh, you know, about July 21st, maybe could be the earliest that we head into step three. Why are they being so adamant about that 21 days? I know that was a very contentious point when the premier laid out his plan a week or two ago, that he wanted to make sure that there was going to be at least 21 days between going from one phase to another. Yeah, I mean, I I guess there's two things there. I think there's some political uh, calculations and also, uh, you know, uh, the health side of things. So, the uh, Associate Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, she's reminded us that the reason why there's 21 days between each phase is that even though our vaccination rates are, are really well, uh, doing really well, it still takes two weeks for it to become fully effective. And so they're just trying to be cautious here. I think politically speaking, the Ford government has learned its lesson from the third wave where they reopened and then had to shut back down rather quickly. Um, and, you know, that was uh, that was hard on, on everyone, you know, businesses, uh, folks, mental health, it, it hurt them in the polls as well. So I think that it's uh, steady as she goes right now. With that in mind, though, uh, there's still going to be an awful lot of pressure to go to that next step. But from a lot of businesses, we're going to hear from Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in just a couple of minutes. I, I got a pretty good idea of how Dan feels about this. Uh, but some of these businesses have been closed for over 200 days, Sabrina, and they're saying, look, at, you know, the numbers are here. Why can't we just move to the next phase? 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with uh, with at least part of that. You know, I I really need a haircut personally, <laughs> so I'm excited to have that in step two. I think also uh, the the province hasn't laid out specifics for coming out of this reopening uh, framework at all. You know, what what uh, checkpoints need to be passed for us to come go back to, you know, whatever normal looks like, where there are no restrictions in place. I think there's going to be mounting pressure on the Ford government to do that. But look, they've they've also extended, you know, their emergency powers until December. So they're obviously prepared to shut everything back down if these variants take hold. And, you know, I'm I don't even want to say it out loud for fear of jinxing it, but if we are forced into a fourth lockdown, when we're seeing, you know, other countries dealing with outbreaks despite having good vaccination rates. So I would say at this point, you know, enjoy a patio and some retail therapy while you can. Yeah, your point's well taken, though. I mean, he got burned last time because he, he decided to be a little more generous and had to pull everything back, which just angered everybody, I suppose. And, you you know, I understand, okay, Alberta's doing what they're doing, Saskatchewan's doing what they're doing, and I know a lot of us in Ontario are looking longingly there and say, why can't we have it the same way they, they have it? But the numbers in the U.K. and even the numbers in Israel, I guess, which were two of the areas that we always looked at and said, hey, see, these guys seem to have a handle on what's going on. Uh, the numbers there indicate that this Delta variant's really having an impact there. And uh, I know that Boris Johnson held back on actually some of the recovery plan because they were concerned about the rising cases. I guess the last thing the Premier wants to see here is the same thing happening in Ontario. Yeah, and you mentioned Dan Kelly. I'm sure he'll tell you this that, you know, this fits and starts of reopening um, every couple of months or even weeks. It's, it's not good for businesses. You know, they, it costs money for a patio to, uh, for, for a restaurant, I should say, to set up their patio and then having to close it back down with no customers. You know, uh, I think that the, the premier has really learned his lesson there and wants to take this cautious approach. I know um, it's, uh, it's, it's scary, but they have a lot. They have a lot to weigh here. They have to weigh businesses. They have to weigh public health. Um, at the end of the day, it's the decision is up to them, and I do think that that we're hearing more of a consensus, at least from the PCs on the government side. Cabinet met yesterday, and um, there was a little less of uh, you know the the back and forth that we had heard was ha- had had been happening. So I think um, we've got to take what we can these days, um, and like I said, enjoy enjoy what you can while you can. I can understand that they're all marching to the same tune these days. Uh, you and I talked about this before the cabinet shuffle, uh, because there were some dissenting voices around the cabinet table about the, the opening and closing, etc. Uh, but uh, as, if you look around that same cabinet table now, Sabrina, the people that were doing the yelling, they're gone. Uh, they're not in cabinet anymore. One or two of them have been changed around, but uh, obviously he wants everybody singing from the same song sheet here, and that seems to be the, the message, I guess, to everybody in caucus now. Yeah, I think um, maybe maybe the anti-lockdown uh, cabinet members they they might have given a lesson to other folks in caucus as well. I think that you know there's always going to be a heated discussion behind the scenes, and like the premier will tell you, you know they come out as a united force. Uh, I have actually been hearing you know uh, uh, you know some buzz. No one willing to speak on the record, of course, but some buzz about uh, the the. Uh, demoted cabinet ministers feeling a little you know uh that it was a little unfair that they 
that they were booted and the excuse seemed to be that they were anti-lockdown because as, as they'll tell you, you know, they, uh, they come from ridings where COVID did not hit as hard as some of the hotspots in the GTA and Toronto, especially. And that, uh, you know, they, they think it was just an excuse, the, the anti-lockdown line. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think we're going to see, you know, much quicker reopening. Um, I am curious, you know, what, what thresholds will be needed to come in place for, you know, moving beyond step three. But for now, I think it's slow and steady. That's party politics, though, isn't it? Even if you don't think it's the right idea, if that's what the boss says, then you better you know, fall into line uh, or there will be consequences. We've seen this happen out a thousand times in politics. So I can understand they're a little upset, maybe even embarrassed that they're not in cabinet anymore. But there are, there are consequences to do that sort of thing. And, and we'd heard anyway uh, that those people, even if they decide that they're that disenchanted that they don't want in the next election next year, those are, from what I understand, all very safe conservative seats anyway. So you can, you know, they don't care. If you don't want to run again, buddy, that's okay. We can get a candidate in 30 seconds and probably fill the seat. So uh, it's uh, politics can be a cruel game sometimes, but that's the, the, the that's the way they play the rules. It's certainly fickle. Um, you know, I, I think those are ridings where the PCs, they'll, they'll win handily. They're not too worried about it for 2022. And and it's absolutely a cabinet shuffle that's more about uh, the next election and, and re-election uh, than it is about governing. I think, you know, there's not a lot of time for these ministers to really get to know their files and do some deep work on policy, you know, beyond what they're what's already happening. Um, but I, I think that you know, it's it's a lot younger, um, there, it's a lot more diverse, and it's also a lot more concentrated in the GTA. So it definitely offers us some hints as to what the PC's strategy is going to be and what, what ridings are going to be gunning for in 2022. What are you hearing about where he's getting his advice from? The rumors we're hearing from some of your colleagues is that the the re-election team is all but moved into Queen's Park right now. They're the ones that are calling the shots. And this cabinet shuffle, and I guess just about every other announcement from here right through until next June, are all going to be geared towards their possible re-election of this government. Uh, that, that The same people that got him elected, I guess, are back there right now for, for the, the encore performance, I suppose. Yeah, we're hearing um, Corey Tanaik, uh, who ran the campaign last time. You know, he he's taking a leave of a leave from his lobbying uh, duties these days, and he's he's running the campaign for 2022. Uh, we're hearing that you know he's briefing caucus regularly, so the 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 lines are becoming a bit blurred as as usual between you know govern governing and and staffing um, and staff who are doing the, the regular day to day work of governing the province, and as opposed to uh, you know, the the campaign side of things. And and I will say, you know, it's not just the PCs who are doing this. We're getting oh, sure. campaign-style flashy announcements from the Greens. We had this week, you know, a very ambitious housing plan uh, and education plan from Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, Andrea Horvath. Uh, she's been touring her, uh, she's been touring with her local caucus members. You know, she's been in London. She's in Brantford today. So, you know, the the race to 2022, I know the rumors are about a federal election, but uh, it's all about 2022 um, and and the vote for everyone at Queen's Park as well. Which I think just underscores your point at the beginning of our conversation that uh, Ford's not going to do anything rash here because the last thing he wants is a, another dip in the polls and uh, and some disgruntled business owners again. Exactly. Sabrina, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Great talking with you. Thanks, Bill.
Take care. Sabrina Nanji uh, from Queen's Park today, and anticipating that announcement. Uh, and what are the implications of that? Well, let's uh, bring Dan Kelly into the conversation. Dan, of course, is the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Uh, Dan, thanks for the time. Uh, it looks as if it's uh, been confirmed now. I guess we'll get the official word from the Premier later on today uh, that uh, we move in on uh, Jan June 30th into Phase 2. How do you respond to that? Well, look, any time an hour or a day is shaved off of these ridiculous lockdowns, it's, it's certainly good news. But good Lord, could they go any slower? I mean, <laughs> the big changes for small businesses is those uh, retailers in shopping malls, they'll be allowed now to be reunited with a tiny fraction of their customers as of uh, June the 30th. And personal services, only some personal services will be reopened with significant capacity restrictions, I think a maximum of five people in, in a salon. What that means is that Ontario will, will allow these services to resume, those two services, and only those two services uh, from a business, small business perspective to reopen on the 30th. Uh, when we look at malls, malls didn't close for a single day in 2021 in New Brunswick, British Columbia, Alberta, or Saskatchewan, even Manitoba, with higher, with much higher COVID case counts, reopened malls as of January 23rd. Quebec since February 8th. Haircuts, they've been allowed in in Saskatchewan and British Columbia for the entire year so far. Quebec, they reopened on February the 8th. Why we are waiting months, perhaps as many as six months, that uh, uh, more than other provinces to reopen basic business services is beyond me. Well, the numbers, let's talk about the numbers. And, and the Premier admitted this yesterday. When you look at the vaccination rates, which is one of the barometers, that, 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 as you know, that they set out for this, we're already way ahead of where we should be. And, and there's an argument to be made, I think, anyway, that we should skip a step and simply say, I think we can do a lot more here. You're absolutely right. And that's what we've been pushing for, is that we should have skipped step two altogether and moved right to step three. Step three would have allowed uh, restaurants to serve a limited number of cu- customers inside the restaurant. It would have allowed movie theaters uh, and other entertainment venues to open with capacity constraints. It also would have allowed gyms with capacity constraints to reopen. I will add, I know that that sounds scary to some people because we've been locked down in the Ontario for so long, but every single one of those services is open in the rest of Canada and has been open in the rest of Canada for months and months and months. BC and Saskatchewan, again, didn't close gyms for a single day in 2021. They've been reopened in Atlantic provinces since February or March, and even all the Western provinces in Quebec that had higher case counts along with us, they reopened uh, more than a month ago. And Ontario is not planning to reopen these services as the current plan says, until perhaps as, as late as July 21st. And as you've told us a couple of weeks ago when you were joining us on the program, uh, for many of these owners, this is money they're never going to get back. Uh, you know, you, it, it is what it is. You're supplying a service and you can only allow so many people in the, in, into the business with this phase that we're going into in a couple of days. Uh, and the, the money they've lost over the last 200-odd days or whatever it is for some of them, they haven't even opened the doors at all. Uh, that's gone forever. And uh, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult for these guys to, to, to keep going on. You, you, you're absolutely right. You think about it. You're not going to you're not going to all of a sudden, because hair salons have been closed uh, for, in, in Toronto, they've been closed for 300 days. In other parts of the province, they've been closed for a couple hundred days. 
you're not going to all of a sudden go get your hair cut once a week uh, to, to try to make <laughs> up for it. You're not going to get your nails painted, uh, you know, five more times over the summer than you would normally. You're going to do it on your regular pace, if that. And for all of these businesses that have capacity constraints, they're only going to be able to serve a much more limited number of customers. On top of all of that, even when those restrictions are taken away, governments have, have scared us to stay home. And so how many fewer customers are going to naturally come back, even when allowed to, to some of these businesses? Yes, there will be some that benefit. There will be some Canadians like me that are anxious to climb out of their basements and actually get back <laughs> to their normal lives. But there are a lot of people that, that will be lingering at home and, and, and staying away from, from businesses for some time. And that really worries me because if that happens, these businesses that have already had to endure sometimes three, 400 days of lockdowns, they're not going to be able to, to survive it. They're just, they're just not. They're, there's not going to be a pathway to profitability anytime soon, and more and more of them will give up. We're expecting at CFIB 180,000 businesses across Canada to close their doors permanently uh, as a result of the damage they've sustained during the COVID emergency. That's frightening. I had one local businessman in the Hamilton area that I was talking to about this the other day, and he says it's, it's like the Peanuts cartoon, you know, where Lucy keeps moving the football every time Charlie Brown goes to kick it. And he says, I'm afraid, yeah, he said, we're going to move in, but he says, I don't know if he's going to close us down again. We just don't know. And it's, it's, it's that uncertainty, I guess, with the consumer and with the owners that's causing all this angst. It, it, it's a huge part of it, and I understand why government's hesitant to open uh, what, in what they would deem early because they don't want to go back and have to shut this down. That has a huge negative consequence. But for goodness sakes, as you, as you started, we have hit vaccine targets that way, way ahead of schedule. 76% of Ontarians have had a first, uh, Ontarian adults have, a, have had a first dose. 29% have, are fully vaccinated. That's what should give us confidence. I mean, the public health officials have been telling us the way out of this is to get vaccinated. Ontarians have been listening and going in droves as soon as they're eligible to, to get vaccines. We've done our part. It is now time, as the rest of the world has, to reopen more of these businesses. That doesn't mean we rip away every COVID restriction. But I point out, Alberta has made the decision to end all COVID restrictions provincially, including masks, as of July the 1st. That's a week from today. We're going to do the same July 11th. Yeah. And in Ontario, that, that happens around the same time that somebody's going to be able to get a haircut. I mean, are we on the same planet as these other provinces? It's just bizarre. It is that. Well, we'll see what the official announcement is on this. Uh, Dan, hang in there. And uh, to all your members, hang in there, too. We're, we're, as consumers, ready, willing, and able to get back in there through the doors and start spending our money as long as the province seems to understand the gravity of the situation. Stay well, Dan. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Take care. Of course, Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As you heard Dr. Williams uh, and also Dr. Moore, the Medical Officers of Health, uh, reiterate once again, uh, vaccines are the way to get out of this thing. This is the way we're going to beat this, with the, including the variants, too. Uh, so we want to check in about the, the rollout of the programs. We talked with Dr. Elizabeth Richardson uh, in the Hamilton Public Health uh, Department uh, yesterday about what was going on. I want to check in at the Middlesex London Health Unit right now. Uh, Dr. Chris Mackey is the Medical Officer of Health uh, for that uh, health unit. And joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to, uh, to give us an update on this. Dr. Mackey, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. A pleasure to be here, Bill. 
Let's talk a little bit about the, the rollout of the program uh, in, in your particular area right now. The, the numbers of first uh, vaccines are, are actually looking pretty good. Uh, we were lagging a little bit behind, I guess, in second vaccines, but my understanding is that uh, that may well be solved because of the uh, number of uh, the vaccines that are being shipped to your area in the next little while. That's right. We've seen a massive increase in vaccine availability this week. We put those out to the public and those have been snapped right up primarily for second doses. And then just yesterday, we got another 42, almost 43,000 doses allocated to our region, which is a huge boost. That's about, you know, what we've done in our maximum week. So that'll mean we can really continue to ramp things up and get those first and second doses into arms. Doctor, how quickly can you actually increase the capacity to be able to handle? As you say, as soon as you get them, they're, they're, somebody wants them. They're, they're, as, they, in the, as they say in the commercial business, they're going out the door as quickly as they're coming in. You got it. And uh, we are getting vaccines out within a week of when they arrive. So we, we book those vaccines out of course across the week and you know get them right into arms. At this point, we're vaccinating around 6,000 people per day. We'll increase that to 7,000 people per day when we get that big shipment over the weekend. And that will chew through pretty much all the supply that we have within the next two or three weeks. We, uh, Our largest clinic at the Agriplex here in London, you know, increased overnight from yesterday to today from 2,500 people per day to 3,000 people per day. London Health Sciences Centre has been a tremendous partner for our work there. There was some concern earlier in the week. Uh, we were talking with uh, some of our friends over at, uh, in the CFPL newsroom uh, about the hospitals and capacity and, and what was going on and some of the outbreaks there. Is, is, is that quieted down a little bit? I know the university hospital was concerned about it. Yeah, at this point, our hospitals are doing pretty well. They, they don't have a whole lot of COVID, COVID patients left in the hospitals. There are you know, maybe one or two people that have been transferred from other places in the province and then uh, less than five local people in the ICU. And so it's all a very manageable volume at our hospitals at the moment. Of course, we're all keeping our eye on the Delta variant. You saw a big outbreak in Waterloo. And actually in the UK, they're seeing a whole fourth wave of Delta variant right now, even though they've got a high vaccine rate. So we're watching that closely and, and staying on top of any new cases that come up. And I know that there were four confirmed cases earlier this week, uh, which I guess they're, they're all recovering, but uh, ages 18 to 31, the people that were involved in this, uh, which it just indicates that uh, there are no demographic barriers for this, value, this variant, is there? That's right. The, the last two variants, both, both the, uh, the variant from UK and the Delta variant, which seems to have originated in India, both of those spread very easily among younger crowds including, you know, university-age folks who are often generally in that time of life when they're taking more risks. So we've seen lots of outbreaks related to that. Fortunately, nothing big happening in our community right now, and those four cases don't seem to have spread. But, of course, it's a bit early to know for sure, and uh, we'll keep our eye on that problem. Doctor, what's your experience with that? I mean, four confirmed cases, but do you extrapolate from that that there's probably a lot more that just haven't been confirmed or actually haven't been reported? If you look at zero prevalence studies, that's where they take blood samples to see if people have been affected ever in the past. Around the world, you're seeing two to three times as many cases that have not been diagnosed in their illness phase uh, than you're seeing diagnosed. So yes, for sure. If there are four, 
you know, we could have uh, eight or 10 or 12 total cases in our community. Uh, the, the plus, you know, we're really seeing outdoor people staying outdoors and avoiding those indoor gatherings as much as possible here as well. We're seeing, as you said earlier, big uptake of the vaccine. So that really helps to uh, put a bit of a, a buffer around further spread of cases. Doctor, as with the first uh, variation, I guess, the COVID-19 that we were dealing with a year and a half ago, uh, many people can be asymptomatic. Uh, is the variant the same way? Can people actually have the variant and, and be asymptomatic? Yeah, definitely. That's still part of the picture here. Which goes to the point about vaccinations once again and, and the uptake on those. Uh, with the the increase in product right now, the number of vaccines that you're getting in from Moderna and Pfizer, uh, is there any discussion about perhaps expanding the program to, to other locations uh, as other uh, communities have, have done in the last little while to try to get those numbers up? Yes, so first step is we're maximizing the, the four mass clinics we have. We're also constantly working to bring new partners on board. There's a number of primary care family docs that can offer the vaccine. We have uh, a few partners, Middlesex London Paramedic Service has a mobile clinic that they're offering as well at a number of places in the community. And we're speaking with other partners, uh, in, in, including, you know, large reputable partners that uh, would be able to help new vaccine within the next week. So we hope to be able to announce that sort of thing soon as well. When the numbers looking as good as they are right now, and we've seen some pretty steady declines, of course, over the last couple of months in new cases, certainly in hospitalizations, uh, are you worried that people are going to get this complacent attitude that we've beaten this thing, I don't really need to get that second shot or maybe even a first shot? That is definitely something that's on our mind. And, you know, you, you mentioned the second shot. With the Delta variant, that second shot is so much more important. The, the first variants that we had, the original covid virus were quite susceptible to one dose so once you had one dose after about two weeks your good protection in the range of 90 percent effective and uh, with the delta variant you've got to have that second dose the first dose is only around 30 40 percent effective if you if you want to get up to that 90 percent level which we all do you need that second dose for the delta variant i'm, I'm definitely worried bill to be honest as the case counts decline and, and summer opens up all of our minds to you know gathering in different ways I am worried that people would take their eye off the, the vaccine issue, which is really number one right now. I, I know that you're going to have a media briefing a little bit later on today, but uh, maybe you could give us a bit of a preview because I know that your hope here is to expand the eligibility uh, for rebooking uh, for people uh, because there were dates involved, you know, the first shot in so many weeks after that. But uh, as other jurisdictions have done right now, is, is London ready to move forward with it, that process? We'll, we'll be announcing that later today, Bill, but I'm pretty confident we'll be able to expand eligibility. You know, the, the next step for us is May 30th. So right now, May, if you've had your first dose of Pfizer or Moderna by May 9th, you can book your second appointment earlier. We will probably be able to announce that we're able to extend that to May 30th. So that'll be another, you know, 75, 80,000 people who are able to rebook their second appointments earlier. Well, uh, we'll wait for that then. I, the cloak of secrecy main, is maintained here, but uh, I, 980 News will be there, so we'll get the update as soon as you pass it on to, uh, to the community a little bit later on. Doctor, as always, I know how busy you are. Thank you for taking some time with us today. Great to hook up with you again. It's great to have. Thanks a lot, Bill.
Take care. Dr. Chris Mackey, of course, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the London Middlesex uh, Public Board of Health. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just uh, finishing off the uh, media conference now uh, with the rather disturbing news, of course, a uh, possible 751 hits on the gravesite of the Cowess's First Nation in Saskatchewan. And uh, they'll do some more research, as they mentioned, about that. Uh, our next guest knows what of that we were speaking of for, for the last little while. Uh, professor Shirley Williams is a professor emeritus at the Cheney Wenjack School of Indigenous Studies at Trent University, and she herself is a survivor of re- the residential school system. Uh, professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us on this uh, very special day. Thank you. Your re- reaction when you heard the news from Saskatchewan? Yes, I did this morning. It, I know when we talked before, after the Kamloops uh, revelations, uh, how disturbing it was for you. Uh, this, they feel, may well be the biggest uh, gravesite of, of all of the ones in the residential schools, a possible 751 hits. Um, and it, the enormity of this is just astounding, isn't it? Yes, it is uh, very disturbing. Um, we don't know how many others are, are going yet to be found, but I'm sure there will be other graves that uh, that will be found in among the uh, residential schools buildings across Canada and the states. Chief Delorme had suggested that they wanted to to do this whole exercise uh, with the ground penetrating radar to every one of the sites, which is obviously going to take an awful lot of time. Uh, is 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 that something you'd like to see happen to make sure that everybody is accounted for? Yes, because otherwise, if they don't do it. We will always wonder how many more were 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 unlift. In order to complete the work, um, we need to um, test all of the school buildings. You know, to see if no one left behind. How important is it for closure for the families, uh, many of whom? just saw their children leave and never come back in, in situations, had no idea what happened to them, where it happened, anything else like this, uh, and are probably of the mind that, well, maybe, you know, their son, their daughter is one of the people uh, that's in, in this, this gravesite right now. How important is it to actually identify and, and put names to, to these, these victims? It is very, very important because that's how you will know uh, that closure, um, that's how you will know when that their son or daughter has been recovered and do the pre- proper burial. And, and then open the all of these years probably die and not knowing what happened to their own children. It's like every parent, everybody, every parent knows uh, what it's like to, to have a child missing or where, where are they, how come they're not coming home. So that thought of uh, the children not coming home have probably been in their minds all these years. And you mentioned even when you were talking to us before about your own experience, of course, when you went to residential school, uh, of, of, of some instances where you would see children that were having problems and disappear and just not be seen ever again. Uh, and, and this is happening as, as we're starting to understand now at schools uh, as we start to hear some of the stories from the survivors and from the, the, the descendants of some of these survivors uh, about some of these horrific stories. Yes, um, um, there's been a lot of cases. We, we know from one re- residential school to the other, we have told each other, you know, 
what they have gone through. And if we spoke about it, we would be severely punished. So, and no one believed us. So now, now we're finding all of these uh, graves. It's uh, the truth is coming out now. What about the role of the Catholic Church? I know that uh, Chief DeLorme talked about that on a couple of different occasions as he was answering questions here this morning uh, about the role that they have to play, th- those records, and how important they are to, as you mentioned, bring closure to this, to actually find out the names of, of the of the children that were involved in this. Uh, yes, it's, it's um, the Church got kept a lot of records. So did the Indian Affairs. Uh, they kept the records because uh, if you went to school, you had to be registered. The parents both have to be registered who the parents are. So there are records, unless the church burned down, uh, the records would have been burned or uh, destroyed uh, if there was uh, something going on that they wanted to hide. But it is very important for the church to um, to be involved now with along with the government. They, they still work together. The government paid the, uh, the churches to... To, to do the work that they wanted to get rid of uh, the um, the savage of an Indian child. And so they have responsibility now to uh, restore the things that they destroyed, like the language and culture. Um, I guess it, it is very important now for them to restore of what they tried to do in order to make it right. We need to make it right now. And there's a new beginning. We should begin now um, in a good way, in a straight way. Um, There has to be a lot of forgiveness because right now a lot of people are angry. A lot of people are engraving. You know, when a person is angry, we don't know what we are saying or what what to say even or what to do. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things that happens to an individual. So um, there has to be a lot of uh, promises uh, and action to do things in the right way. Well, as you told us before, there can be no reconciliation without truth, and uh, getting this information is, is a big part of that truth. Professor, thank you so much for spending some time with us again this morning. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care. Professor Emeritus Shirley Williams, of course, uh, from Indigenous Studies at Trent University, herself a uh, survivor of the residential school system. She went to a residential school here in Ontario. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.